Welcome to Central. I'm Ben Sloan, an ordained United Methodist pastor in the Western North Carolina Conference. My goal with this podcast is to talk about issues that are central to life in Christianity. At the end of each podcast, I'll ask some questions for you to think about and reflect on, and you can do that as an individual or with other folks. I hope this will lead to good, enriching thought and conversation. As you doubtless know, this is just our second episode, and if you listened to the first, welcome back. I'm glad to have the privilege to share with you again, and if this is your first time listening, welcome as well. This will be a good episode to jump in on because it really gets to the heart of my goal with this podcast. We're talking about what's central to life and faith, and if you were to sum up the whole Bible in one word, I think it would have to be love. Jesus says all of the Hebrew scriptures found their fulfillment in loving God and one another. But I'll admit, I sometimes get frustrated with sermons on the subject of love because I think it's a word that has been overused to the point of near meaninglessness. Almost everyone can justify their actions in terms of love. One person might make a donation to provide someone's needs in the name of love, and another might refuse to donate because they believe the loving thing to do is not foster dependence. One person might refrain from spanking their child out of love because they believe that corporal punishment doesn't foster taking personal responsibility, and another might spank their child because it was how they were raised and they never doubted their parents' love. Opposite actions attributed to the same motivation. For Jesus' command to love God and one another to mean anything, we really need to dig into the idea of what true love looks like. And that's what I want to explore in this and some upcoming episodes. So to that point, here's our guiding scripture passage for this week. It comes from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and this is Jesus speaking. As God the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments, so that you may love one another. Have you ever heard that Eskimos have over 50 words for snow? I'm going to butcher this, so apologies to all my Inuit subscribers out there, but Aki Lokok 
is the word for softly falling snow. Piegnartok means snow that is good for sledding on. And then there are many, many others. You, you get the idea. Languages adapt to make it easier to describe things that are important to us. In North Carolina, we don't really need to make those distinctions. We'll take any snow that we can get and we'll count ourselves lucky. The Inuit people need to be able to quickly make distinctions in types of snow because of where they live and how it impacts their livelihood. But I want to be clear, English is just as good for talking about snow as Inuit. We can express all the same concepts. It just takes us more words to do so. Softly falling snow conveys the same meaning as akilokok. It's just three words instead of one. Another example of this phenomenon comes from the ways languages name colors. In English, there are 11 primary colors. Black, white, gray, red, yellow, blue, green, orange, purple, brown, and pink. If I point to something and ask you to name the color, chances are you'll use one of those 11 color names to describe it. But in Spanish and Russian and a few other languages, they have all of those same colors plus one more. Just like how pink is really light red, in Spanish there's a word for light blue, celeste. That's different from normal blue, azul. Now, just because we call these two colors the same thing in English when we're in a hurry, it doesn't mean that we can't tell a difference between them or couldn't make a distinction if that was important. Light blue and blue, it's that easy. And I'm pointing all this out because of the way that we translate love. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, there are four words for love. I don't know if that means love was more important to them or not, but regardless, English is just as good for talking about love. We just need more words to do the same thing. So in Greek, love can be agape, philia, eros, and storge. Again, apologies to all my uh, Greek speakers out there listening. Agape is the most commonly used word for love. Some describe agape as unconditional love. I've also seen it argued that agape is just the general word for love. Regardless, agape is the word used for God's love for us. Eros is romantic love and lust. That's where we get the word erotic from. Storge is instinctual or familial love. So, for example, the love of a child would be expressed as storge. And lastly, philia is the love of friendship. When I was in college, I was a part of the Methodist student group on campus, and all of us students would take turns offering the devotional each week. One of my pet peeves was that I would say literally half of the devotions people offered were on love. And it's not that I have a problem with love. The problem I have is with how nonspecific we are about love. The problem was that folks were so noncommittal and wishy-washy about what love is. 
we all agree that love is important. I mean, just think of how 1 Corinthians 13 says that we are nothing without love. But we don't necessarily agree on what love is or how to show it. As I argued earlier, love can mean a lot of things, and we don't take enough time and care to define it. That's why the four forms of love in Greek can be so helpful for us. They can help us to understand what true love is, the ideal we all seek, really. So if we use the four loves in Greek to guide our discussion, what would you say is the most important kind of love? Agape? Eros, Philia, or Storge. Really, take a second, pause this podcast if you need to, and and pick one of the four. I don't think there's a wrong answer to the question. The point is more to get y'all thinking about different kinds of love. You could make a good argument for each of them. So which would you say is most important? Well, now let me ask you what you think society would say is the most important type of love. I've searched online for movies about love, and some of the clips I found will give you an idea of what I think the answer is. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, and love, and love you. I never wish to be parted from you from this day on. I want all of you, forever, you and me, every day, (laughs) I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. It'd be a privilege to have my heart broken by you. I love you. I know. He's looking at you, kid. I'm not a smart man. But I know what love is. So according to Hollywood, at least, what's the most important type of love? Eros. Well, as you may have guessed from our scripture, the Bible actually has something to say about the relative importance of different types of love, too. In our scripture passage today, Jesus says, No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So what's the greatest kind of love for Jesus? Well, you could argue it's philia. In fact, Jesus tells us several times not to let storge, familial love, hold us back from following God. Jesus even denies his own family when they threaten to interfere with his ministry. Paul thought the rapture was coming in his life, and he urged folks not to get married unless they could help themselves, unless they couldn't help themselves. Scripture is filled with warnings about Eros and the trouble it can get us into if we're not careful. So Scripture is pretty clear that Storge and Eros are not the loves that we should principally aspire to. But Jesus says, No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what I want to dig into today. Why is friendship so important? For a love that seems way undervalued in society, why is it so important to Jesus? And to get at that, I want to ask you another question. Don't you think it would be even more loving to lay down your life for your enemies? That would be unconditional love. It's easy to see why Eros and Storge aren't the most important loves, but why would the love of friendship be more important than unconditional agape love? 
Well, I've got a somewhat silly example that I, that I hope will make it a bit clearer. Several years ago, someone gave me a painting as a present. It was a generous, loving thing to do. There were no strings attached. It wasn't a gift with the expectation of something in return. It was an expression of agape love. The only problem? To be completely honest, and this, this pains me a bit to say, I think the painting is ugly. I appreciate the gift, I really do, but I also didn't want that picture. Have you ever gotten an unwanted gift before? A gift that can be given with the best of motivations, unconditionally, and still fail to do the good that was intended by it? Agape love, because it is unconditional, isn't the highest love. Unconditional love also runs the risk of being inappropriate or not really fitting the needs that are present. Another way of saying unconditional is without relation. There are countless, uh, much more serious examples of charities that try and do good and end up causing harm because they didn't have enough of a relationship with the folks they were trying to help. They had agape love, they gave unconditionally, they lacked philia, friendship. When you have a relationship, a friendship with those that you're trying to help, you're able to adjust your efforts to actually be effective. There's a room for back and forth, for give and take. God wants nothing short of a restoration of the world. So I think it's fair to say God wants our love to make a positive difference. I don't know exactly why Jesus said friendship is so important, but I have a solid guess. I think friendship is so important because it's reciprocal. There's no such thing as a one-way friendship. If I say, you're my best friend, my best bud in the whole world, and you reply back, forget you, loser, I barely even know you then we're not friends, period, full stop. I can't choose to be friends on my own. It has to come from both of us. It has to be mutual. Storgate can certainly be one way. How many times have you seen a child love a parent that doesn't love them back or vice versa? It's heartbreaking, but it happens. Eros can be one way. Have you ever been in love and not been loved back? I have. Agape, by definition, is unconditional love. God loves us without us having to do anything. But what God wants from us is philia, mutual love. So why is laying down your life for a friend better than for an enemy? Because it's only through friendship, through mutuality, that we make a change. Our goal as Christians isn't to defeat our enemies. Our goal is to transform our enemies into friends. Our goal isn't just to be right, it's to be in relationship with one another. It's only through the back and forth of friendship that we can really grow to our full potential. It's true that God showers us with unconditional love, but to reach the full potential of who God wants us to be, we have to move beyond that to the love of friendship. And so to finish, I want to share a song with y'all that I think sums up this all pretty nicely. 
if you really want the full effect, you've got to look up the YouTube video of this yourself. But it's it's one of those things that's so bad, it's good. So here it is, Sun Seeds, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that he's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. That's going to be stuck in your head all day, so um, whether or not you agree with my message, hopefully that will keep you pondering what we really mean when we say the word love. Thanks again for joining me this week. Here are the discussion questions. So after I've made my case, do you buy it? What do you think the most important of the four loves is? Agape, Eros, Storge, or Philia? Is that a change from you, from your initial impression? I'm publishing this during the COVID-19 pandemic. How does living through this crisis affect our friendships? Are there things that have made establishing or maintaining friendships easier? And what in particular has made it harder? What if anything holds you back from friendship? I'm a father, and I might be tempted to say that I don't have time with the demands of my family and a job, but you make time for what's important, not the other way around. My real answer, if I push a little farther, would be fear of rejection. And lastly, what do you value most in a friend? Thanks so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this, know that I'm planning to drop a new episode every Thursday. And be sure to share with your friends and family. And so as you go throughout your week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forever. Amen.